Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. This teaching is from the series, The Beautiful Community. As the image of the Trinity, the church is called to be the beautiful community of unity and diversity. And everything we need to accomplish this has been given to us by God so that we might overflow with blessing for others. We hope this helps you understand and apply God's word in your life today. Amen. Again, good morning to everyone. I did want to make two brief announcements before we move into looking uh, at the Scripture together. And the first most important announcement, of course, is that next uh, Sunday, June the 28th, we will be opening up for inside in-person gatherings. And so if you are part of Bay Ridge uh, and you are of the health that you can come and be here with us, that there are no underlying health conditions, uh, and uh, if you are feeling comfortable coming, then we invite you to come in and be with us. We're going to be uh, following all the protocols that we need to to keep everyone healthy. Uh, there's already been communication sent out by the church, and we will continue to be in contact with everyone about that. But if you are uh, able and would like to come, we would love to have everyone come here, as many as possible, to be here next Sunday, uh, June the 28th at 10 a.m. We'll be gathering together again. The meeting will look a little different than it did uh, previously, just due to some of the things that are going on and us working back into it. But uh, we will be gathering here together Sunday, June 28th at 10 a.m. For those who cannot because of underlying health conditions or just concerns about it, uh, we will still be streaming live. You can continue watching just like you are right now at 10 a.m. next Sunday. Uh, you can go along with us and we'll still be sending out an email that will have you know, the discussion guide and everything else as we've been doing, that will continue uh, throughout this. And also we will continue having uh, the outdoor uh, communion services are going to continue everything so that we can be uh, continuing to be one church during this time. Also do want to let us note that uh, as always, you can continue giving. We appreciate it. We've been mentioning giving for the pop-up pantries. We can still use donations for that, but also just for the regular ongoing ministry and work of the church. Um, obviously, next week, those who are here in person, there'll be a box where you can uh, put in any donations. For everyone else, you can continue to go to brcc.church slash donate, or you can just click the Give tab and be able to donate that way or mail checks in. We really appreciate it, and it's uh, enabling us to continue supporting our missionaries around the globe and doing the ministry that we're engaged in here locally. So thanks to everyone. Well, today we're going to start a new series, and this series is called The Beautiful Community, the, image, uh, the Church as the Image of the Trinity. And we're going to be spending a number of weeks over the next month and a half or so looking at various aspects of how the church can look like and act like the way our triune God does, specifically the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, noticing uh, Trinitarian texts that speak to the very life of the church. And this week we're going to begin by uh, looking at the concept of reconciliation, the beautiful community, reconciliation. And so we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. And you can uh, look, it'll be up here on the screen, and as you are uh, following along there on the screen... You can uh, read along with me, or in your Bible, be Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. So hear now the word of the sovereign God. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, 
and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Pray that God would bless his word. As I mentioned, we're going to be looking at the idea of the Trinity in the coming weeks. And sometimes people think of the Trinity as being some sort of a philosophical concept that has very little to do with real life. But what I hope for us to understand, and in fact I'm talking a little bit about this in After Hours on Tuesday, is that far from just being an irrelevant philosophical concept, the Trinity is the ultimate reality in the entire cosmos, in the universe. The Trinity is the warp and the woof, the very fabric of all reality. And this is why we see so many Trinitarian echoes throughout the Scripture. We see that creation is attributed to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We see that humans are actually created in the image of the Trinity. We see that salvation is planned, accomplished, and applied by the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And if we think about it, we can see the Trinity in all of Scripture and in all of reality. But we're not going to be looking directly at the Trinity in the coming weeks. Rather, we're going to look and say, if the church is the people of God, then in what sense are we to be the image of the Trinity? And how as we walk in the way that God calls us and are looking and acting like the Trinity, how does that make us into the beautiful community? So I'm going to begin today by talking about this issue of reconciliation, and we'll start by looking at alienation, because before we can be the beautiful community, we first have to come into a living relationship with God. And our default position is not one of being in relationship with God, but rather one of alienation from God and from one another. Notice in our text in verses 11 and 12, we read, Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth. And verse 12, Paul says, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Now, Paul here is speaking primarily to Gentiles in the church, and he says that we were separate from Christ. We were alienated from God himself. He, he further references this, and he says, look, God had a people, Israel, but you were excluded from citizenship in Israel. You were not part of his people. Again, this is a sense of alienation. And he says, in fact, all of God's covenant promises that were given, you were foreigners to those covenant promises. And then in one of the more uh, dire, stark statements in the Scripture, in verse 12 we read that we were having no hope and without God in the world. Having no hope and without God in the world. And Paul is saying this, as we know from, from continuing to read, this was not only true of Gentiles, it's actually true of Jews when they are born. It is true of every human being. The result of sin is alienation. And first and foremost, primarily, this alienation means we are alienated from God. And to be without God is to be without hope. If you want to know what hopeless looks like, look at our state when we were cut off from God, cut off from his covenants, cut off from his people. But it's not only true that we were alienated from God, sin also brought an alienation from other people. 
So notice again in verses 11 and then in verse 14 and 15, Paul's referencing Gentiles and he says, you were called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. And then down in verse 14 and 15, he refers to that Christ has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. And he's saying that he did all of this to create one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So notice all of these terms that I just read. Uncircumcised. This was not a good term. When someone who is Jewish said you were uncircumcised, they were not paying you a, good, a compliment. Okay, this is kind of like, you know, I've joked before down south where I grew up, we had some sayings. And sometimes, you know, if somebody says, well, bless your heart, that, that's not as positive as it might sound to somebody who's not from that culture. When Jews referred to you as uncircumcised, that was a very derogatory comment. It was sometimes referred to as like an uncircumcised dog. That's the way that they thought of it. And Paul then says, look, there was this dividing wall of hostility. And here, Paul is making reference to a particular wall in the temple, as we'll see in just a moment. And we know what it is because he says it was based on the law with its commandments and regulations, these stipulations. And Paul here is talking about the ceremonial law. And that ceremonial law made a distinction between Jew and Gentile, and it put a barrier up. And all of this is alluding to the dividing wall in the temple in Jerusalem. If you and I had gone to Jerusalem at the time that Paul is writing this letter, we would go in and the, and the temple was massive. It took 80 years to build. And there was a huge outer court area. When you first came in, there was what was known as the Court of the Gentiles. And it was three quarters of a mile around. It was a huge court area. And then there was a four-foot wall that divided between the outer court and the inner court. And on that four-foot wall, at 13 different spots, they had a plaque. And that plaque read, No foreigner is to enter within the forecourt and the balustrade around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. I've tried to convince Linda we ought to put signs like that up around our property and, and see if that seems welcoming to our neighbors. Uh, how many of you know that our church is not going to put signs up around our property and say, here's how we care for you. If you pass this spot, you have nobody but yourself to blame for the death that comes to you. I mean, this is about as hostile as it gets. But Paul said, that's the alienation that is there. And Paul himself was in fact imprisoned because people thought he had violated and brought a Gentile in. He in fact had not. He had told Titus that he could not go in with him. But you can read about it in Acts 21 verses 28 and 29 because they thought Paul had violated it. They tried to kill him for bringing the, what they thought was a Gentile in. So friends, this is a dividing wall of hostility. And this text, again, is speaking specifically of Jew and Gentile. And if you heard the text that Tony read, one of the amazing things Jesus has done is even Jew and Gentile, that wall has been broken down. But this is actually a picture of the truth that relates to all of us. There is a dividing wall of hostility that gets laid out between us because human beings are alienated from one another whether it was Jew and Gentile in the old world. I was actually just reading last night about some, uh, th there was actually a, a church denomination that was having a national assembly and someone was preaching out of the text in Colossians that Tony just read and they had had black sitting on one side and white sitting on another side and there was a, uh, a tape that was run between them. There, there was a big, long uh, ribbon stream thing that was running between them. And as someone was preaching, somebody went down and broke that down. And in a very unusual scene, this was in the early 1900s, blacks and whites came down together and prayed because the dividing wall had been broken. The reality is sin 
produces alienation, not just between me and God, but between me and other human beings. Here in 2020, we've been uh, seeing this go on a lot. We, we see that we segregate by race. We segregate by sex and status and wealth. These are things that have gone on for a long time. But of course, this year, coming to the forefront, we've seen the, the coronavirus, COVID uh, thing, which has forced a staying away from one another, a physical spacing and alienation from one another. But as we've gone on and the longer we've gone on, it's also producing an alienation because people view what we ought to do differently. And the arguments and the fights that come out are evidence of our alienation from one another. And then, of course, the recent events, multiple ones where there have been African-Americans slain by authority figures, or in some cases, Ahmaud Arbery, by vigilantes, and brought the, the racial tensions and alienation right back to the front. And we struggle with this, let me say, because we were created to be in the image of the Trinity, which is unity and diversity. We'll look more at that in the coming weeks. But we are more committed to our group. What I spoke about last week about our ethnos, our ethno, uh, our ethnic identity, our people group, our tribe. We are more committed to that and its cultural expressions than we are to God, to his image, and his kingdom. And when that happens, those groups are going to clash. And individuals from those groups are going to clash. And I wish I could tell you that that tendency did not affect the church, but it does. We have a sad history of even in the church breaking down and dividing into our tribes and considering other tribes the other, and at times even breaking into outright hostility to protect our group from another group. So that's our natural state, alienation. Well, how could we possibly image the Trinity. This is where we enter in with this key word, reconciliation. Notice that the entire Trinity is involved in our reconciliation. I'll be pointing this out in the text as we look through them. You, we may miss it and not note these things, but the Trinity is just woven into all of Paul's writings and theology and the other writers in the New Testament. So notice in verses 18 and 22, <clears throat> we read, for through him, and it's speaking of Jesus, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Notice we've got the Son, the Father, and the Spirit. And then in verse 22, and in him, again Jesus, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God, speaking of the Father, lives by His Spirit. Both times we have the Trinity involved. Our reconciliation has been brought about by God. And notice in verse 18, it's speaking of our reconciliation to the Father. We have access to the Father, our reconciliation with God. And in verse 22, we're being built together as one temple, which means there's reconciliation being worked by the Trinity for us with one another. And so this whole passage uh, rings with a Trinitarian structure and allusions, but it's specific here in verses 18 and 22. And Paul is letting us know that just as we were created by the work of the Trinity and we were created in the image of the Trinity, so are we reconciled by the work of the Trinity. And that has huge implications for our Christian life and for the church and what the church should look like and what we should be expecting our life as believers together to be. So I'm going to look at these two aspects. We were alienated from God and from others, and we see here that it speaks of us being reconciled to God and to others. Let's break down a little bit more about reconciled to God. Notice in verses 13 and then 16 and 17, we read that we have been brought near through the blood of Christ. And in verse 16, we read that he was reconciling both of them to God uh, through the cross. And in verse 17, he preached peace to you who were far away, 
and peace to those who are near. So we were far from God, and this is specifically speaking of us as Gentiles, but Christ has brought us near by his blood. We are united to God by the blood of Christ. And he's specifically here speaking of Christ's work on the cross, that in that great redemptive work on the cross, Jesus was putting to death the alienation, the hostility that existed between us and God, and he was making reconciliation between us and a holy God. And notice throughout this passage, you can see these terms, reconciliation, hostility, peace. All of these are relational terms. You reconcile two people in a relationship. Hostility refers to a breakdown in the relationship. Peace is referencing the relationship being the way that it ought to be. In summary, we were alienated, but because of the work of Jesus Christ, we are now reconciled with God. So again, in verse 18, Paul tells us, for through him, Jesus, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The Trinity is at work here, and we had been alienated, but now we have been restored. We were cut off from God, but now we have open, free access to God. Not by what we've done, but by the work of the Trinity. Planned by the Father, uh, accomplished by the Son, and applied to us by the Holy Spirit. But not only has the Trinity worked to restore us to Himself, uh, to our God, the Trinity has worked to restore us to one another. So look in verses 14 and 15. Here, speaking of Jesus' work, it says, He Himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility which Paul says is put up there by the law with its commandments and regulations. And his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So notice at the beginning of verse 14 and the end of verse 15, there's the word peace. It's kind of like bookends. He's made us both one. This is the idea that we have been restored. We weren't at peace. Now we are at peace. This peace has uh, caused to make us both one. And notice here, the peace is not just peace with God, but it's specifically referencing that we now have peace with one another. Flowing out of our peace with God is the fact that we have peace with one another. Again, that dividing wall it's talking about there was not the temple veil into the Holy of Holies. Jesus did do that as well, but it's speaking about the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, between one human and another. Jesus has not only opened our access to God, he has broken down the wall of hostility. The Holy Spirit not only carries us and applies this and brings us into the presence of the Father and intercedes for us before the Father, he is working to join us together with other believers. This is why that ceremonial law has been removed. And notice it says that he's made one new man out of the two. He is united humanity together. He has restored our unity with one another. And so Paul in the concluding section says this is the basis for the church's whole existence. We are one people of God who've been restored to God and one another. So notice in verses 19 to 22, Paul uses these words. <clears throat> we are fellow citizens. Not, not just I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. We are fellow citizens together. We are members of God's household. Again, together. In verse 21, we are a building that is being joined together. Notice the, the uh, metaphor of us being brought together. We are rising to be a holy temple in the Lord. We're not many temples. There is one temple. And then in verse 21, in him you two are being built together uh, to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So notice again there at the end in verse 22, he's back to the Trinity. In Jesus, we're being built together to be a dwelling in which God, the Father, lives by the Holy Spirit. 
So the Trinity is at work there, but notice what he's doing. He's got to build us together. If the church is going to be the dwelling place of God, we cannot remain separate from one another because God does not have many temples. He has one temple. And so what this means for us is the same work that reconciled us to God brought the church into its existence as the beautiful community of those reconciled to God and to one another. And God has reconciled us to himself and one another through the work of Jesus on the cross, creating the church as the beautiful community of reconciliation in which he lives by his spirit. This is what Paul is talking about here in this passage. Now, how do we apply this today? What does this mean for you and for me as we look at this? How does Bay Ridge live out this call to be part of the beautiful community? Well, the first thing is we have to recognize there is this reality of alienation and reconciliation with God. If you remember back to when you were not a believer, or if you are listening today and you are not a believer, you may have this sense of guilt. We, we sense something is not the way it ought to be. Uh, there, there's a feeling that things are not right between us and God. And friend, that is not a figment of your imagination. When we look back at that, it was not that something was wrong. Uh, in my time, shortly before I became a Christian, I didn't even realize this until later. Some of my friends told me that when we would go out drinking, uh, I would start preaching because I was coming under increasing conviction by the Holy Spirit. I knew in my soul something was not right. I had started going to church. I would kind of started going to a Bible study. But I was not yet a child of God. And there was this sense of guilt that some people want to say, oh, that's a social construct. That's religion working on your conscience. No, it's not. It is a real objective guilt. There is a real alienation between us and God. Sin actually separated us from God and made us hostile to God and to his ways. That is, we are what Paul refers to in Ephesians 2 as children of wrath and disobedience. We are cut off from God, we are alienated, and there is a hostility between us and God. And it is critical for us to understand this because this is the root of every other alienation. We are facing alienations in our culture right now, but many want to try and solve our horizontal alienation from one another without referencing our vertical alienation from God. And it will not work. When you and I were alienated from God because of the fall, we became alienated from one another. And if we want to be restored and reconciled with one another, we have to be restored and reconciled with God. But the good news, the gospel, is this is exactly what Jesus' atoning death has done. He has restored us to God. He has put to death that alienation. He has broken down any barrier between us and God. If you look in the gospel, when Jesus said it was finished, the temple veil is torn from top to bottom. That was the veil between even the inner uh, court and the holy of holies that is ripped open. We now have access to God. So for the first time since Adam and Eve in the garden, you remember when they uh, sinned, and they, ate, and they hear God, they went off and hid. We have been hiding from God ever since the garden. But we do not need to hide. Jesus has resolved our problem. He has put to death that hostility, and he has flung open our access to God the Father. Not based on anything we do, but based on what he has done. Friends, this is the greatest gift imaginable. We can now begin to be a people who would be in the image of the Trinity, which we were created to be, and it's not by anything we've done. It is a free gift through Jesus Christ, 
and what he has done for us on the cross. So if you are watching this today, with all of my heart, I urge you to receive this gift of reconciliation. See, the thing about reconciliation is it is between two parties. God has offered reconciliation to you today. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 5, we won't put the verse up, but he says that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, and we tell you we are ambassadors of Christ. We are here to tell you, be reconciled to God. Well, that's my privilege today to be an ambassador and to tell you reconciliation is open. Reconciliation is available. You do not need to hide from God. You can come to Him and lay it all bare before Him. Through Christ, you can be received. I do want to speak to anyone out there, the the members of Bay Ridge, anybody else who's a Christian. And before I move on to dealing with reconciliation Uh, and breaking down the alienation between uh, humans, I want to ask, as a Christian, am I basking in this reconciliation with God? Does the reality of what Christ has done permeate my being? Or do I still have a sneaking suspicion that somehow God is holding me far off? That somehow God is looking to catch me. That God is looking for that aha moment. And I really still need to kind of stay apart. And I don't really want God being there face to face. That I'm kind of like Israel was when they told Moses, you go up to the mountain. You know, hey Brett, you or let's get one of those. You guys go up there and you talk to God and tell us what to do. See, God wants face to face. Am I basking, living in the reconciliation that God has given? Because friends, if you and I are not, we're going to be ineffective in the next step. If I feel as if I am still alienated from God, then what's going to happen to me is I am not going to be reconciled to others around me because I'm going to still be struggling with this guilt. I'm still going to be working and trying to earn and protect my turf and do all of these things. We can only be the beautiful community if each of us individually are basking in the reconciliation that Jesus Christ has provided. So have you done so? If not, I urge you, meditate on this. Think on this passage. Think on what it means to be justified. Let God reveal to you fresh and new your status as the forgiven, accepted, loved child of God. Based not on what you do, but on what Jesus has done. So that's the first thing. The second way in applying the word is that we're to become the beautiful community. As a congregation, and we cannot do this. See, I, I, can, I can be reconciled to God. In fact, I must be reconciled to God as an individual. But then I am born into the community. And this community is to be the beautiful community, the place of reconciliation. The church is, first off, the community of those who have been reconciled to God. And, but... It also means that flowing, notice it's the same act of reconciliation Paul's telling us in this text. Because we've been reconciled to God, we are reconciled to one another as well. And so this is the reality of the church. But here's the problem. Sin always works to undermine this horizontal reconciliation. We have been brought together. We are being built together by the Holy Spirit to be this place where He dwells, where we are the one temple. But sin is always at work attempting to undermine this. And rather than being the beautiful community of reconciliation, the church can give in to sin and simply become one more place of alienation. This is One of the sad things that we see down through the history of the church, where one group is alienated from another group. We have done it uh, by making denominations. We have done it because of racial things. We have done it by different people groups uh, so that 
We, you know, there are places where there are two churches even from the same denomination and they're right next door to one another because one is one race and one is another. Friends, that is not the beautiful community. That is simply another place of alienation. And this occurs whenever the church endlessly divides over small points of doctrine. Look, it's important. We, we believe certain things here in our congregation and we hold to those as being important. But we do not divide from the rest of the church. It is a passion of mine for us to walk in unity with our brothers and sisters of Christ, even in different expressions of the body of Christ uh, around us. So one way Christians have done this is simply through all those endless breaking down the unity of the church uh, by squabbling over things that are not nearly as important as our unity. Now, I'm not talking about the demarcation line between the true faith and that which is not part of the true faith. If somebody denies the Trinity, that's not part of the true faith. If somebody doesn't believe that Jesus is fully God, not part of the true faith. If they think that we're saved by works and not faith alone, that's not part of the true faith. But there are all kinds of things where we argue over the silliest points of doctrine. And in so doing, we do not represent the Trinity. We are not the beautiful community. We're just another place of alienation. Here in America, we've seen this very much between races, where we've got, again, many denominations were born because white churches would not allow blacks to be part of their church. They actually told them, you have the same exact beliefs we are doing the same thing, but you need to go off and do your own thing because we can't worship together. I can hardly think of anything that makes a more ugly community than that. That is completely rejecting the image of the Trinity. But friend, that has been a reality down through history, and it is sadly still a reality in many places today. In fact, and I mentioned this a little bit last week, but one of the ideas of church growth is not just racially, but break down into to even smaller segments. You're not just going after whites. You're going after upper middle income professional whites. This is who you want. I actually had someone in the past ask me, who are you trying to target? Right? This was somebody who was coming to our church for a while. And they, who are you trying to target? And my answer was humans. And they said, well, what kind of human? I said, the fallen kind, the kind that are under sin. Well, that's not specific enough. Well, that's the kind that the Holy Spirit is after, and we will not narrow it beyond that. Friends, that is not the way of the kingdom of God. That is not the way to the beautiful community. Now, let me speak. One of the reasons this is important with where we are right now is because in 2020, there have been these two major issues that have gone on, both COVID-19 and the racial strife. And the political loyalties that are going on and get revealed in these kind of things threaten to undermine unity. I, I listen, I see it on the news, I see it on social media, I see commentaries, and People are getting torn apart over these things. As if my belief exactly on the best way to respond to COVID-19 is more important than the fact that you are the image of God. Is more important than the fact that you and I have been reconciled to God and reconciled to one another by the blood of Jesus Christ. And if I think my opinions on the way to respond to COVID-19 are more important than that reality, I am deeply, deeply mistaken. But it's a reality that is happening, and many are doing this back and forth. It is a chance to break down, and again, the racial strife that is doing this. And right now, friends, I am sad to say, but very often the evangelical church is actually undermining reconciliation as we prefer political power over the people whom God loves. And when we're not willing to listen and learn 
and do the hard work necessary for reconciliation to be worked out in reality. I want to enjoy my reconciliation with God and not do the work necessary to be reconciled to you. See, it's easy. Jesus has already done everything for me to be reconciled to God. The reality is he's also done what's necessary for me to be reconciled to you, but I don't want to apply that because that might make me change who I am. And I might need to listen. And I might need to have my perspective challenged and changed. And too often we are actually serving to be a force of alienation when we ought to be the bridge that brings reconciliation. Please hear me. And this is going to be a thing that will kind of see spun out in the coming weeks. Reconciliation is always costly. If you're taking notes, please put always in all caps, circle it, star it, underline it. There will never be reconciliation between two humans that comes without a cost. Notice that reconciliation cost God his very son, his only son. And it will cost us if we wish to see reconciliation worked out in our time and our place. And I bring up the fact that Jesus was the cost of reconciliation. There was nothing more precious to the Father in the universe than His Son. And that was the cost of reconciliation. Friends, for you and I to work reconciliation, to see it accomplished in our time, in our place, we may find things dear to us being part of the cost, something that must be sacrificed in order to build bridges and to see reconciliation with others. And I'm going to talk in the coming weeks about what some of these things mean, humility, forgiveness, and working to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. But here's the simple fact. The church, as the image of the Trinity, as the beautiful community, must be the community of reconciliation. Because it's only in this way that we are actually the image of the Trinity and we are fulfilling our call in the gospel. We have to work so that we are not only displaying the unity of the Trinity, but the diversity of the Trinity. Last week's teaching was kind of a prologue, if you will, to this series almost. That when we look and consider that the only way the church can accurately do this is when we are comprised of people from every culture group. When we're not trying to just be the people who are alike, but we are actually reaching out across all the lines that our world wants to draw. To simply be the gathering of those who are the same is to critically fail at our call to be the beautiful community. That's not really a community. That's just simply unity. That is a people group, a tribe being together. So the church has to not only display the reality of the reconciliation between humans and God's, but the reality of the reconciliation between all the various people groups who are created in God's image. See, the world has been struggling and failing at this forever. And the church has sometimes done well, and then we've also joined in the failure on our own. So let me ask a couple of questions for us in practically applying this. I want to ask you, are you praying this for BRCC and for other local churches? Do you have a passion for us to be a place of reconciliation? A place where people who might otherwise not ever be together, who might otherwise naturally gravitate away from one another, are together. Because they say those dividing walls that are there and everybody's building up, they are torn down here because we are one as the image of God and we are one as those who are reconciled in Christ Jesus. Am I praying for God to do this in our midst? 
And, and please, am I praying this for this congregation, for Bay Ridge, for us to be a picture of what it will be like in eternity? Secondly, am I not only praying for it, am I working for this? Am I willing to set aside even things that I find dear, that, that are dear to me, in order to extend the hand of reconciliation to those who are very different than me, those who I may disagree with politically? Am I willing to say that's not as important? Did you hear again in the verse that Tony read earlier out of Colossians 3, Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, barbarian, Scythian. These were all the ancient groups that everybody would have listened to Paul and said, well, those are the defining marks of who and what you are. And Paul said, none of that matters in Jesus Christ. What matters is we are in Christ. Am I willing to work that way as if that is really true? That your political affiliation, your education level, your cultural background, your socioeconomic level, none of that matters. What matters is that we are in Christ Jesus together. And then the final question that I'll bring up and we'll be moving to prayer is, is my experience of reconciliation with God giving me the freedom to reach out across the alienation, hurt, and even sin of others so that we might experience reconciliation with them? See, Jesus did not reconcile us because we weren't sinning and because we weren't raging and hostile to God. He reconciled us when we were all of those things. Am I so basking in the reconciliation with God that even when others lash out at me, say wrong things about me, say unjust things about me, that I'm willing to look past that like Stephen who as he was being stoned said, Father, don't lay this sin to their account. Lord, I, I don't want you to do that. Are we willing to be that person? Because if we are really receiving that, that freedom, that's what you notice Paul goes, forgive as the Lord forgave you. If I am walking, basking, living in the reconciliation that God has given to me, how can I not extend a hand to someone else? Even if they initially slap it and push it away, how can I not keep it out there? How patient was God with you and me? Now, if we recognize this, friend, those who are walking in the experience of the lavish reconciliation with God that is given in Christ, they're going to be able to pay the necessary price to experience lavish reconciliation with others. This is the call. This is what BRCC needs to be. It's what we need to be with the other local congregations here. And friend, I believe it's a specific call for this day. We live in a time that is becoming more and more and more divided. There are forces at work to continue breaking us down. There are powers that be that they make money by breaking us down. But the Trinity, Father, Son and Holy Spirit are calling and working that we might be the beautiful community where we're not broken down, but where we're reconciled with God and with one another. Let's pray. Our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all creation has flowed from the abundance of your fullness and the love and joy you experienced in your relationship with one another before time began. We see evidence of this in all you have made and especially in humans who are made in your image, full of unity and diversity. But in our sin, we turn from you and we have struggled to embrace unity and diversity, the one and the many, ever since. But we give you thanks that you did not abandon us because of our sin. Though our sin deserved judgment, you gave us grace. Though our sin destroyed your work, you restored 
Though our sin brought alienation, you brought reconciliation. And you have called your church to be a reflection of the beauty of the Trinity. One church comprised of many, full of unity and diversity. This is our call. But we humbly admit that we struggle to embrace this call. When faced with those who are different, we prefer to isolate rather than embrace. When sinned against, we are so tempted to respond with judgment and anger rather than mercy and the offer of reconciliation. Oh God, help us to embrace our call. Oh Holy Spirit, come and fill your temple again. When we are tempted to establish dividing walls, tear them down. When we are tempted to turn away, remind us of Christ's reconciling work. When we feel the work is too much, come upon us in power. O Lord, build us into the beautiful community, full of the unity of the true faith that is obedient to your word and full of the diversity of people and gifts that let us be the image of you, our triune God. Father, we ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, by the power of your Spirit, for your glory and our good. Amen. Now I encourage you to receive the blessing of our triune God, and go forth then and be a blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go forth blessed and be a blessing, reconciled and being reconcilers. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Bay Ridge Christian Church. For more teachings and resources, please visit www.brcc.church.